say food. <laughs> no, we like food. I, I heard Pastor Raymond ask something about food before, and there was a kind of a, a slow response, or it was at least a little quiet, all right? Uh, I, I know I have to say I like food, all right? <laughs> and, and sometimes our bodies show it a little bit too much, right? It tells the, the tale on us. And, and, uh, but, you know, the, it'd be so awesome for us to, to crave for the Word of God as the food, the nourishment, the absolute essential part of our maintenance mode, amen? And not just maintaining, but that we would actually be able to grow in Him in a supernatural manner and way. You know, the Word of God is, is it's Him living, all right? The Bible, God, the Bible says that the Word of God is living. It's active, okay? It's living and active because it's not black and white print on pages. It's Jesus, amen? He is the rock, and he gives us the word. And, and we're so thankful for that. And so in Philippians chapter 3, we're going to go to a familiar passage of scripture today. And, and the, this message today is called Turning Point. And, uh, you know, it's so important for us to realize that the Lord has different seasons and times in, in each of our lives. And he has different things that he wants to do. And, and, and sometimes, if we're not careful, we find ourselves demotivated or unmotivated by circumstances and situations. And when we get unmotivated, we become ungrateful. When we become ungrateful, we become discouraged. We experience depression. And we, we become a bunch of Eeyores. Everybody know what Eeyore is, right? <laughs> Hanging his head, wagging his tail, just, and just, oh yeah, it's just getting through the day. Pastor Doug, he, he was a great, I mean, not in personality, but in person. He would, he would talk about Eeyore, you know, and talk about that. And I, and I so much, you know, think, God, you have put us here on this earth not to be individuals who are pessimistic, but are full of optimism, expecting that no matter what the enemy throws our way, that he's got something better planned for us. And, and, it, and it's so important to, to get to that place, because guess what? How many of you make mistakes? All right? I'm not here to tell you today mistakes are okay. I'm here to tell you that today, in spite of mistakes, in spite of making mistakes and missing the mark, God has a way to get you back on the right path when you recognize those things and take you and cause for you to be effective and productive for the kingdom of God. I'm so thankful. Amen? I mean, it, it, there's, there's some of us, in, and we look at individuals and we think, you know what? They are deserving of punishment. We look at some people, and guess, guess what? We become so judgmental at times, right? We look at what they do, and they ought to have known better. How many of you can remember back a few years, maybe a lot of years, and could say, you know what? I didn't get what was actually supposed to be coming to me. Now, I'm not saying that people shouldn't pay the price for our sins. All of us, as far as those things, he paid the ultimate price for our sins, our wrongdoings. But let me tell you something. When you experience something in the darkness, when you get to that place and you feel like it's all pressing in around you, you feel like you can't breathe, it is not the end. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not the end. It doesn't matter how dark it gets. There, it could be, I could either utilize this situation, this predicament, as something that will take me down and out, or I can use it as a turning point. I could take a look and say, Lord, what is it that you're going to do through this situation, in spite of the situation, to take me to the next place? You guys have heard of Thomas Edison, have you not? And he's most noted for inventing what? The light bulb, exactly. But in his 84 years of existence, he, made, he had patents for over a thousand different inventions. 999 other inventions besides the light bulb. One of them that he made a lot of money off of was called the alkaline battery. Those are the ones that are the diehard ones, right? Well, he got lithium ions now. But, you know, Edison was a bulldog. He was unwilling to accept failure as a final outcome to his efforts. And, and before he successfully invented the alkaline battery, now we know how many times he failed. We've heard it over and over again about how many times it took him to create the light bulb. Does anyone remember? Yeah, it's about a thousand times, 909. He worked at the alkaline battery 9,000 times and failed. 9,000 failures, but one success. He said this, he says, genius is 1% inspiration and 99% 
perspiration. Are you sure? <laughs> I mean, really? Think about that. 1% inspiration. And, and I understand he, he's not being a, a, a spiritual, making a spiritual thing at that, that moment in time, but, but you could debate that. But listen, he knew about hard work. He knew that you couldn't give up. He built a laboratory beside his vacation home in Fort Myers, Florida, and he was known for being a hard worker and not sleeping very much. Constantly wanting to see things progress. He was unstoppable. At his 80th birthday, he announced the formation of a company that was going to do research to develop the substance of rubber. How many of you are thankful for that? I, do, I bought my dog a new chew toy last night, all right? It was a rubber toy. It's supposed to be indestructible. I'm thankful for that, all right? Because he'll destroy some other things if we're not careful, right? So I'm, I'm thankful for that. Why did he work so hard? Was it determination? Was it willpower? Was it discipline? Why did and was he so successful? I wonder if it was because of his passion to invent something, to do something that had, does not exist yet. I wonder if we do not give enough credit to the passion and the drive that it should have within each and every one of us. Determination, discipline, and willpower, it'll take us so far. But when you put passion with it, you become that force, the unstoppable force to be reckoned with. Great people have a passion. They have a force that consumes their lives and, their direct, and, and directs the things that's happening. But here in Philippians chapter 3, I want you to take note of the Apostle Paul's journey and how he came to a spot and understood his place of privilege. He understood about how he was in a particular spot. He understood about how everything should have gone right for him and how he had certain rights. But guess what? We'll see what he considered uh, important about those things. Here he's having a conversation uh, in, in verse number one. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Listen, he says, I even repeat myself here, okay? <laughs> he says, Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. How many of you know that the enemy's out there and he's working through all kinds of different people and different things and he's trying to take down the body of Christ? Trying to stop us in our tracks. But I want you to tell, tell you that the greater is he that's within us than he that's in the world. But he says this, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. They might say, well, Pastor, you said... You know, perspiration and hard work, all right? Isn't that confidence? Listen, I want you to concentrate upon the desire and the will to do more than what you think that you're able to do. That's supernatural. That's extraordinary. That's what we're talking about here today, all right? He says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. In other words, listen, I could glory in my flesh. I could glory in my accomplishments and who I am. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. For I've been circumcised on the eighth day of the people, uh, I'm of the people of Israel, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. He says, and as for zeal, I persecute the church like nobody else. <laughs> Can you imagine that? As for the legalistic righteousness, he says, I'm faultless. Go ahead and try to find something that I'm doing wrong. I'm measuring up to every letter of the law. But then he says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He said, I could tell you how long I've been in this thing. I could tell you all of the books that I've read. I could share with you all of the ministry that I've done and all the people's lives that I've affected throughout the years. But guess what? That's not what makes what I do important. He says, but you know what? For the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of this right here. Of knowing Christ. Say knowing Christ. Knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for whom sake, whose sake I have lost all things. He's lost him. Well, you might say, well, he's still got some things, does he not? Yeah, but he's considered them as rubbish. 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ. Here's that passion. I want to know him. Don't you think that the Apostle Paul could say that I already know him? Yeah. He's written a few different letters by this time. He's affected and already started a number of churches. But he still says, I want to know him. He didn't even go down the whole list of all the things that he's done as an apostle. He listed all the other things. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. <laughs> Just shake your head and say, you're crazy, Paul. <laughs> Paul, you crazy. <laughs> you're crazy. It's share in the fellowship of in your sufferings because becoming like him in his death and so somehow he don't even have it figured out. He don't even know the way it's going to work. But somehow, Lord... Somehow in the midst of the darkness, somehow in the midst of the turmoil, somehow in the midst of the tribulation, somehow when nobody else knows what's going on and nobody has answers and people were praying. Listen, I got, I got to believe that somebody, and it's, it's not that they were doing the wrong thing, but was coming out and praying against that storm and saying, stop, go another way. And guess what? They still lost things. What do you do with that? What do you do with the people? And we kept on saying pray, pray, pray. What do we mean when, pray, when we say pray? Are we talking so that the disaster will be averted? Because it doesn't all the time go that way, does it? Is it possible? Absolutely. Should we pray that way? Absolutely. But guess what? Our greater prayer is that I would know Christ that I would know the power of his resurrection, that all those things that were wiped out, all those things that were considered like death, would be brought back to life, would be brought back to restoration. And so somehow, I don't have it figured out, but to attain the resurrection from the dead. Listen, great people are not always the strongest or the brightest of their peers, but instead they are people who consistently outperform other individuals and many times you can track it back to the passion that they have for what they're trying to do it's great to be a person of accomplishment it's great to be a person who exceeds the abilities of of what everybody would expect you to be able to do but listen where your abilities leave off your passion and your drive will start to take over you're like really isn't that a work of the flesh? No, see, I'm talking about a work of the Spirit because the Spirit would desire that you would think beyond your current circumstances, that you would think beyond your current situation, and you would look and say, somehow, some way, I don't know how, but I know when I put my hand to the plow, when he puts a plow before me, and he says there's a field to plow, when he says that the fields are white in the harvest, when he says those things, I don't have to be discouraged about the things that aren't going the way in which I want them to do, but in Instead, I need to stay going in the direction that he would have me to go. I need to be passionate about doing things for him. I hope tonight, or today, that you discover this, this passion. I hope today that you get to this place to where you say, you know what? I want to get onto the path of greatness. I don't want to just be mediocre. I don't want to be just getting by. I don't want to be just hanging in there. Saul of Tarsus was a man who kept his shoes shine and his brass polished. He played by all the rules and he emerged as one of the most qualified rabbis of his day. And yet, that, he says, is not what was important. I could boast on these things. I could tell you about those things. But that's not what I want to do. Instead, I want to know him more. I want to know his resurrection power. I want to share with him in his sufferings. So his privilege that he had began with his birth. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. You remember Benjamin? He was Joseph's little brother. Think about that for a moment. He was the little one. He was the prized one. If you go back and you take a look at in, in, in Egypt and all that stuff was going down and, and Joseph made a play in order to show the love that he had for his little brother. But, but God showed the play that he had for the whole nation. 
it was a setup for success right from the very beginning. The famine looked like it could wipe out a whole people. But God used the darkness that Joseph walked in in order to bring salvation to everybody else. Wow, Lord. Think about that for a moment. Persecution was forced upon the the, the, the Jews was forced upon the Israelites all from all corners of the earth and they were scattered about. They're scattered still in many places in many parts of the earth. But wherever they went, they retained their culture. Wherever they went, they retained and stayed true to themselves. Except for these ones that were called the Hellenized Jews. Now, they would... They would, they would these individuals would just start to buy into the Roman culture, the conquering culture at that particular time. But, but, the, but there was a Jews, there was a people instead who said, you know what, we'll change our language. We'll be accustomed to some of those things, but we're not going to give up on who we are when it comes to the people that God's called us to be. Not only did they fight to retain their culture, but they actively fought against those and the Apostle Paul specifically who differed from their views. Saul was a Pharisee. He was schooled. He was sat there underneath Gamaliel. And he was, he, was, he was given all kinds of instructions about how to be this wise Pharisee. The Jews at that time had got so struck and, and, and stuck in religious that they took and turned the Ten Commandments into 613 different prohibitions. They took and 39 kinds of work was prohibited on the Sabbath day. They kept adding to things because certainly if we could create more restrictions, if we can get as far away from evil as possible, and if we could think about what ways in which evil will come in, if we could just try to ponder them on, we come up with a regulation against that, then certainly we could remain more pure. Not recognizing not recognizing that not one of them would be able to stand up to the true test, right? The carnal nature that was there within each and every one of them. The Pharisees numbered around 6,000 people at that in Jesus' time. They were the largest of the Jewish sects. And, and the Apostle Paul could have said, I've got this awesome resume. But instead he says, you know what? It's not important. Because an event, a turning point, say turning point, happened for Saul when he was on the road to Damascus. He was carrying out a mission. He had a letter in his hand that said he had permission to go and to persecute these people, these individuals who were promoting that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Jesus Christ, the one they crucified? And Saul, while he was on the road to Damascus, has an experience when a bright light shone from heaven knocks him down off of the high attitude, the high place in where he was residing and living. And all of a sudden, here's what he says in, in Acts chapter 9, verse 3. You can read it here on, on our screen. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. What was the journey like? We understand that as individuals, those who were companions with him, were there, but he's a blind man going into an unfamiliar city to receive these, these orders from a stranger. Don't you think that inside there was a lot of turbulation that was going on? Don't you think that there was a lot of unknowns? Don't you? And he's thinking, what in the world is going on? Do you think that he stumbled along the way? Do you think that he fell down? Do you think that he was a little bit anxious? I mean, why did God tell Saul what he needed to know right there on the spot? Why make him go wait for three days and then send a stranger to him? except that God wanted to wipe out every single prop that Saul was relying upon. Take away everything that was not of God so that the supernatural work of God that somehow could take place in his life. So there could be a turning point that was more than just out of convenience, but was out of necessity. 
Saul had some choices to make. I mean, which way? That way, right way, wrong way, your way? Other, how many of you have, have seen these crossroads in your life's path, in your journey? You can recognize things and you can say, listen, what am I going to do? Would the Apostle Paul just throw it off and return to Jerusalem in his former way of life? Would he, would he just say, you know what? I, I, I've, I've certainly earned my way for other people to take care of me. Or will I listen to the voice of somebody whom I did not know at that point in time? Someone whom I persecuted. It's interesting that Jesus identified himself. I'm this one. I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. And he has to be thinking, what? There has to be some type of trickery that's going on here. Something, there's got to be some type of explanation. He came into town, not in the light, but in the darkness. And we find this, that it was in the darkness that he found his passion and ultimately achieved his greatness. Think about it. None of us want to go that way. But the Apostle Paul, even after he experienced this, understood the power of darkness understood the power of sufferings. And he didn't shake his fist at God and say, what are you doing to me? But recognized that he was at the hand and the mercy of God, who was a loving God, one who was going to take care of him. Many times God does not engrave great people with a passion in the light. He doesn't put his impression on them in that particular time. But it is in the dark spot. It's when your back is up against the wall and you're in handcuffs and they've imprisoned you on false allegations. And guess what? You begin to, to what? Sing praise in the middle of the night. The Apostle Paul's given us so many examples over and over again. It's not for me to defend myself, but it's for me to be able to glory in my weakness so that he can be edified, that he can be glorified, so that he can be shown powerful. Listen, the enemy will take and he'll try to distract you and detour you and discourage you and cause for depression to happen in your darkest moments. And it's in those moments when you need to be crying out and saying, praise be to God for somehow, some way, something is going to break loose here. Amen? We need to get to that spot to where we give the devil a black eye over and over and over and over again. And he did that with his verse in Philippians 13. He said, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting. Say, forget it. Oh, say it good. Say, say forget it. <laughs> forget what is behind. Amen. He says, I press on. I strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now listen, I know I gave you this verse. It was about three or four weeks ago. I keep track of what I share with you. But I thought, Lord, I, I, I don't want to share this again. He says, share this again because somebody, this body needs to get it. You've got to forget the past and you've got to press on toward the high calling. Amen? Here at Central, we're going through things. We're going through some growing pains. We're going through some strains and some stretches. And yet, I'm telling you what, God is not unaware of what's going on. He knows what's going on, but He knows, most importantly, what's in your heart and what you consider to be a glorious moment. He knows what you're looking back to and making as a mile marker in your path. He knows whether or not you're trying to return back to that particular moment and you're more excited about that than you are about what's to come. I'm thankful for my heritage. I'm thankful to be a third generation Pentecost. But that was yesterday's experience. That was yesterday's encounter. And if the most excitement I can get off of that, if I get more excited over that than what I have for where he's going to take me. If I kick against the goads, if I kick against the, the dirt and I hang my head, I'm like, woe unto me. What work, what, what do I give God to work with? I've got to believe, because I've read the stories of the saints who come before us. Those individuals who said, it can't be about what's comfortable for me. The Apostle Paul knew something. He knew that he was on a journey. He knew that he had not yet attained his destination. He knew that his past accomplishments were not the things that were going to be the most successful but how he reacted 
in the darkness. How he encouraged people in the midst of the storm. He had Jesus' stories. Of the, 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 the accounts were already circulating, I'm sure, where Jesus wasn't upset about the storm. There and the disciples were all upset. You know what? Jesus, you're sleeping. We're about to die. And he gets up. Oh, you have little faith. He speaks to the storm and says, peace be still. But even if not, even if not, how many, if the storm wouldn't have stopped, Jesus didn't have any fear. Everything he does, he does so that he will receive the glory. But guess what? There's sometimes he receives the glory when you respond in praise in the midst of your darkness. He received a passion in darkness in Damascus. And after his conversion, it wasn't so much that he had the name change. The name change has been talked about and significant a number of reasons, but, but Saul was probably his, his, uh, you know, his, his, his Jewish name, and, 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 and Paul is probably is, is his Greek name, all right? But, but the, he was referred to that, that there was a change that took place in his life, and he had probably both names as far as, as, far as what it meant from that point. But, but spiritually, how many of you know you need a name change sometimes? We know what happened, right, with Jacob? The subplanter becomes Israel, the one who wrestled with God and continued on, who did not let go. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He had all kinds of reasons when he could have boasted, writ over half the book of the New Testament. He was a church planner. He had taken three missionary journeys. He was nurturing the believers, and, and, and there's all kinds of things that he could have done, and, and, and he, but he was passionate. Listen, he was stoned. What did he do? He kept on preaching. Was it because of his determination? No, it was because of his passion. He was thrown in prison. He kept on praising. Was it because he was just a man of discipline? No, it was because of his passion. He was passionate about knowing the Lord. They chained him to guard him and put him under house arrest. Would it stop him from writing? You know, he, he could have considered and thought for a moment, you know, these things I'm writing about, I'm having a hard time seeing those things actually being transpired in my life. No. He was passionate. He continued carrying on. Amen? There's other great leaders that can be found throughout the Scriptures who have experienced trials. I've already talked to you about Joseph. And Joseph was, was, was sold into slavery and was left for dead and, and had the ups and downs of, of being sold into slavery and falsely accused and being brought to the, to the highest position in the land in which he could just underneath the highest guy only to be used to bring salvation to his whole family which would eventually become the nation of Israel. Daniel's moment of truth did not take place in the spotlight, but before an open window in Babylon where he had prayed, where he was in captivity. It wasn't in the light, but instead it was in the darkness. But he emerged as a person with passion and said, you know what? I cannot stop from doing what I am used to doing. What I've been commanded, I, I, I can't stop it. I know it seems pretty dark. I know that you are threatening me right now. What threats are you feeling in the, of the enemy in your life right now? What types of things do you not know how it's going to be working out? Is it concerning your job? Is it concerning your marriage? Is it concerning your kids or your parents? Is it concerning, you know, the, the, what, what, what's going to happen? Young people who are in here today, is it concerning your future spouse? Listen, there are things that we don't know, but I want to tell you, say somehow, somehow God is going to work this out for my good. David's defining moment did not come among this, when he was there with his father's sheep at home, but it came when he was facing a Philistine who was over nine feet tall. I mean, amazing. A spearhead of 75 pounds. That's the spirit. Picks it up and can throw this thing. That is a hulk of a man. But it wasn't intimidating to David. Though it looked dark, he continued on. You may receive your training in the light, but you receive your passion in the dark. I want to say that again. You might receive your, your training in the light, but you will receive your passion in the dark. There's going to be some times when you're alone and you said, you know what? What is it all for? 
Why have I studied the scriptures? Why have I memorized it? Why did these people pray these prayers for the storm to stop, for the flooding to stop, and for some people it did and other people it didn't? Why is it that, that I've seen cancer heal in some people but not in everybody? Why is it that someone has a heart condition and, and, I'm, and, 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 and you know, that person miraculously receives everything they have need of and then we find somebody else and it doesn't turn out that way? We have people in this room who have experienced such tragic heartache and pain over the loss of their children. I can't imagine. My own parents had to go through it. The loss of their daughter. At 25 years of age. Nobody should have to go through it. People in this room who have lost through either through, uh, as we identified, we were, we were talking about connection. Some people have had miscarriages. Other people have lost them in, in, in toddlers. They were toddlers and such or a little bit older. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. It is the darkest of hours. But the people whom have rebounded and seen and made the most effectiveness for the kingdom are the people who said, praise be to God. Somehow, you're going to work this out for the good of you. Great people are driven by their passion and guided by their God. I want to talk to you about a man by the name of Stephen Lavaggi. You see, his life was in disarray. He sat in his bedroom in the wooden floor and he began searching his Bible for answers because his wife had just left him to marry a writer for the Rolling Stone magazine. Not long after that, he found out that his, 10 days after that, his son was stricken with juvenile diabetes. And as if coping with that personal crisis wasn't enough, he lost his graphic art business. He was unemployed. He was abandoned. He was worrying about his son. But what did he turn to? He turned to the word of God. He turned to God and he said, Lord, you're going to have to take care of this. And he skipped over all of the black letters and he went right to the red letters. How many of you know those red letter editions, all right? <laughs> he says that Jesus is speaking. If he's saying, listen, I need to hear what Jesus is saying right now. Now all the Bible is, uh, is, is all right, authoritative. All of it is from God. All of it is God-breathed. But there's that moment when you know, when you're, you're just getting those quotes from Jesus that just kind of makes you feel a little bit more powered up, amen? And so he skipped over him and he got to the place where it speaks about how Christ had been risen. And he goes back and he, he recognizes even how, how Christ, it was planned from the very beginning, how, how Christ was going to be taken care of. And he took him back to Psalms 91.11, which was not a red word, but he says this, for he shall give his angels charge, oops, I shut that off, Charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. How many of you used that verse before? Yeah. You've recalled it. You've concentrated out of it, on it because out of its brokenness came a passion to create a message of hope. And he left the lucrative world of graphic art and went in and became a fine artist. artist. How many of you know that to, 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 in the artist world, okay, it's either feast or famine? <laughs> all right. You know, it's, it's, I, I heard this uh, documentary about how things get deemed of value. And they said in this documentary that only a few people actually get credited with declaring the value of certain things. And if you're in their small group, then the stuff that you do will be deemed valuable. And if you're not, guess what? You can keep on and creating all the most wonderful pieces of art. And guess what? It still will have not the value as what the inner group says it can have. Don't sound fair, but it's the way that it goes. But Steve had a passion to minister through his fine art. It wasn't just about to do it, but he says, you know what? I want to minister through it. Out of my brokenness, out of my darkness, I want to do something. And so he decided to move to California. And there in California, he decided he was going to influence the people who influenced the world. And he went into Hollywood. And he was doing just that. The response to his work was overwhelming. And as he thought about the words that were found there in Psalm 91, he, he, reminded, he was reminded and he, uh, of the angel picture. And he painted a, a four foot by five foot picture, all right, of an angel. And when one friend seen it, he encouraged him. He says, you know what? You probably need to do this in three dimensions. And he got together with a sculptor. And they created this, this sculpting of this angel. And while speaking to a crowd, his, his, his artwork was taking him now all throughout the world. And, and he was speaking to a crowd there in Africa. It was in a place called Soweto. 
and he had taken this, 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 uh, this, this, um, this sculpture that he created and, and, and condensed it down to 20 inches. And as he went to Africa, he, he thought, you know what, I'm going to make this black. A black angel. I'm going to make a black angel. And he held up that angel as he began to talk about God working in his life and how God is so powerful. And, and then all of a sudden there began to erupt a cheer. You might think, well, yeah, that's great. There's an identification happening. But what was not known by Stephen is that someone had just come through a few days before a preacher. And one of the things that he said, we need, we need international artists to express the love of God through art. And perhaps some of them will even write and, and create some black angels. To which then he pulled out a white angel and he shared and showed them both. And he says, it doesn't matter about the color. What matters is about who we are in Christ because Christ doesn't see the color, amen. He sees us as the children of him, amen. I'll tell you what, there are some crazy things going on today. There's been some crazy things that's happened in the name of religion, in the name of God. And, you know, and, and it's, it's sad. We shake our heads and, and how some people could, could even jump on the, the prejudice or the racial bandwagon. It shouldn't be in a time such as this. But you know what? We have to have a proper way to respond. And I love the way in which individuals are responding today who are doing it right and saying, you know what? I may not be able to convince everybody to think the way that I can think. But one thing I have in my ability, one thing I have within my passion, that no matter how people treat me, I am going to react to them in a Christ-like love and kindness. I'm going to let my response to them convince them that, guess what? It isn't about my color. It isn't about what, 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 where I came from, on what side of the track. It isn't about my social status. But instead, I'm not going to look at those things and keep me down. I'm going to recognize that He is my promoter. He is my elevator. He is the one who will lift me up into where I need to go so that I can be an influence for Him. That was the testimony of one man. And it's, it's a shame because, you know, some individuals, he, he was befriending. It was a black man who was, who was uh, befriending the white man. And individuals were calling him an Uncle Tom and such. And he says, listen, he says, this is my philosophy. He says, if those people hate me so much, here's the thing that I want to do. I want to get as close to them as possible. And I want to treat them with kindness. Because what they're going to see is I want them to look me straight in the eye and say, really? Really? You're going to treat me this way because of my skin color? He says that it's going to pierce through all of that darkness. And it's going to expose and, and show people, listen, we've got problems in America today. We've got problems. And the church of Jesus Christ, we need to be going overboard Amen. And showing the kindness and the love that we have for everybody of every color. We need to be condemning every, every type of action that does anything other than that. It's so important that we would realize that God will take those most wicked of days and times. And he can bring revival to us, church. He can use you and your experience and your bad experience that you may have had with somebody of a different faith of a different color, of a different culture. It doesn't matter what the difference is. You've had an argument with somebody. There is nothing that is going to show that God is the ruler and reigner in all things more than you showing and issuing forgiveness to somebody who's treated you wrong. I'm excited about a revival. I'm excited about something that can take place that will cause for us to change. And I just, I got these three things here that I want you to, to think about. Some three challenges, all right? That, and um, it's going to be real quick with this, all right? I think here's what we need to do. We need to recast our past. We need to take a look at what's happened in our past, and we need to see it in the light of what God can do through us. Amen? It's so important for us to realize, listen, God is so much larger than what our current situation is. While you've walked through the darkness, you wondered, is God forsaking me? Why is it that I'd be experiencing these things? Could it be that you were in the incubating process? Could it be that the heat is being intensified in your life so that you can become something that you never dreamed you could become? Third challenge is this, leverage your losses. Could you become someone like Joseph who could look and could say, you know what? 
The Lord can take this situation. He could take this persecution. He could take this betrayal. He, J- J- Paul says, you know what? I consider it all loss. It's darkness. They're, t- they're treating me. The very ones that I was representing. And I've come to this knowledge of who Jesus really is. And now they won't believe me. Now they're trying to kill me. Once I was once trying to kill them. Leverage your losses. Listen, there's people who've done that in the world today who've taken their great areas of loss and have leveraged them and done great things with those things. Two examples for you. How many of you have ever heard of a lady by the name of Candy Leitner? You ever hear of Candy Leitner? She's the founder of MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Candy had an experience where eleven year or 13-year-old daughter, Carrie, was struck down as she was walking along a quiet roadway on her way to church carnival. And a drunk driver hit her. She created an organization that was responsible for seeing that there would be eventually a 40% reduction in drunk driving accidents. Amen? Never happy about that. Never maybe even recovering emotionally. But saying, you know what, I've got to do something with the pain. I've got to do something. I've got to leverage my loss. John Walsh, you heard of him? Son was taken. Six-year-old son, I believe. Out of the store. Horrible things happened to him. But now he is going and making it his life's campaign to find and to prosecute those places, those unsolved murders and those types of things. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Listen, you could be an individual who could take the worst points in your darkness and you could facilitate something because of a passion. You could look inside and say, Lord, how could you use this? Right now I don't feel like I can breathe, but let me tell you something. If you will take it and you will leverage that loss, the Lord will take and use you in unprecedented ways. The last thing is this. Keep your eyes toward heaven. Keep your eyes toward it. Press on. That's what it says in our, in our scripture that we read here today. Listen, dark times don't necessarily mean that you're out of God's favor, but it may be the turning point that, that, that God can use to take you to a place and accomplish things that you never thought that you could do. Praise team, come if you would, please. I want you to play that same song that we ended with when you walk into the room instead of the other one we had planned. I mean, God is saying to you, somehow, some way, you can't see it, you don't know it, your mind is just going all over the place, but I want to tell you something. I wonder... I wonder if you can get to the place you could say, you know what? I'm going to recast my past. I'm going to look at it from a different perspective. I wonder what incubation process that God is doing in me. Because maybe today, maybe today somebody is here and you're counting upon your past successes. Or you're looking at the past failures regardless of what direction you go. But it limits you because guess what? You're counting upon those things to elevate you into a place of influence. Either suppressing you or it's the reason that you should be promoted. And neither one are true. Instead, it's all but by the mercy of God that every single one of us, no matter what path you've walked, Teen Challenge students, you've got to recognize here today that God has you on a path to recovery so that you will benefit, amen, His kingdom. He's going to take you and elevate you when you respond the right manner and way. The enemy would tell you that you should hang your head in shame. You've been unfaithful to your spouse. You've been unfaithful to your, your, your parents. You've shamed them. You've humiliated them. You've left because of your addictions, because of things and decisions you made. You've left your kids. What kind of person are you is what you've heard at different times. And you throw your hands up in the air and you say, I'm a fallen person who's walking through a dark spot, but I'm recasting my past right now. Amen. 
I'm recasting my past. And I'm going to leverage my losses. And I'm going to recognize why. Why I've got to this particular place. I'm going to be responsible with the information that I have. I'm going to do something. I'm going to make a difference in other people's lives. I'm going to make sure that some people won't walk that same path that I walk. I'm going to, I'm going to be in their face with love. And I'm going to be showing them, guess what? God can make a difference in your life. And I'm going to do that by keeping my eyes on Him. I'm going to do that by saying, Lord, the temptation is to look to the left or the right. The temptation is to look at other people. Haven't I been in this darkness long enough? When is enough? When are you starting to get to the spot and say, I just can't take it anymore? Regardless if we believe it or not, many of us have put these lines in our lives. And, and we said, okay, Lord, I'll go to this level. I'll go to this level. I'll go to this level. But don't you dare touch my kids. Don't you dare touch my job. Don't you dare touch my life and my relationships. Don't you dare touch my health. And then we make the mistake of speaking it out. And when we speak it out, the enemy who cannot read your mind, I don't believe he can. God's omniscient. He's all-knowing. So the devil, he, he just tries all this stuff that he's been trying over and over again. And he's waiting to see your response. But something begins to happen in the spiritual realm. Something begins to happen in the supernatural realm. When rather than responding the way in which he thinks that everybody else is responding, all of a sudden you're responding in praise you're responding in adoration you're responding in a, in, in a confidence and saying God to you be the glory you are the restorer of all things I'm going to recast my past I'm going to recast my past someone needs to do that here today amen bow your heads and close your eyes Father, right now we're praying, we're believing that there's some individuals here today who's going to find victory. Some individuals, God, who's going to recognize you've walked into this place. You're here today. You're desiring to work and to move in them and stop them from, from limiting what you can do. The past has been just filled with darkness. But today, today is a day of restoration. And I'm one of those people, Pastor. I want you to pray with me because I'm believing it for myself. I'm recasting my past. If that's you today, lift up your hand right now. Come on. Who's here today? Say, I'm recasting my past right now. I'm recasting it. I'm taking a look. I'm going to see how I'm in the incubation process. I see that. All of those hands. God bless you. You know it. It's important that you know it more than anybody else. Thank you, Lord. You can put those down. How many of you right now are leveraging your losses? You're taking a look at those things and you're saying, you know what? I recognize what the, what the devil meant for bad, God's going to take and use for good. And I'm going to be a willing servant to let him do that for, for me and through me. Come on, lift up your hand right now. I'm going to leverage my losses. Going to do it today. And finally, some of you here today, you can put your hands down, are saying this. You're saying, Pastor, it's been a dark road. And I've had a hard time keeping my eyes fixed on him. The word of God says he's the author and the perfecter of my faith. Right now. I'm believing today he's going to help me be successful in this. I haven't been successful in the past, but guess what? I'm believing today I'm going to have a story to tell. Come on, where are you at right now? You need help keeping your eyes stayed upon him. Come on, lift up your hands right now. Right now, right now. Stand to your feet in this place. Stand to your feet all in this place. Right now, we're going to open up these altars. I want you to just... I know it's Labor Day weekend, but I thought... Lord, help us to do some labor-intensive stuff right now. Let the passions of God begin to arise within us. Amen? And I want you to know something. He is here in the room, all right? He came with me. He came with you. And He's here in a corporate sense. And He desires to work and move in your life. If you're serious about those things, any of those things you raise your hand for, get up here to this altar right now. Let's seal this thing up. Let's seal these things up right now in Jesus' name. Recast your past. Leverage, amen. Leverage your losses and put your eyes upon Him. You know your situation. You know how the enemy is trying to tear you down and trying to take the hope away. And as soon as you get down here, I'm going to ask for some other people to come and pray. So get as close as you can, all right? You're coming on up here. You raise your hand for any of those things. Get up here, please. Come on, I'm telling you, there's a, there's a miracle that's in the making for you right now. Right now in Jesus' name. Right now in Jesus' name. 
right now in Jesus' name. I'm recasting my past. I'm leveraging my losses. I am putting my eyes upon Him. Giving everybody time to get here. One service today, that's all we got. I know I'm going long, but how many of you want to be used by God? Out there, out there right now, you want to be used by God? Get up out of your seats. Get up here. Get up here. Put your hand upon somebody. Put your hand upon somebody who's here praying and saying, I need a move of God in my life right now. Get up here. Everybody ought to have somebody with them. Teen challenge students, everybody, 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 everybody. Guys with guys, girls with girls, if at all possible. Please, right now, come on, put your hands upon them. Begin to pray. You don't have to know what it is in this time. If you feel so inclined to ask them, then go ahead and do so. But, but you need to just begin to pray and say, God, work. Let me realize. Let them realize. Right now, in Jesus' name, I got some guys up here. I, I need some guys. I need some guys up here. Come on. Over here, yes. Come on. I've got at least three or four or five guys up here that don't have anybody praying with them. Come on. Come on, get close. Press in. Get around. Rearrange some people. That's right now. Right now. Let's do it. Let's do it. Mm. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come on, cry out to him. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. Today's the day. Today's the day. Today's the day. Jesus. Oh. Holy are you, Lord. Holy are you, Lord. Come on, come on. Let's begin to press into him. Miracle working God. Cast the past. Leverage our losses. God, fix our eyes upon you. We fix our eyes upon you. We fix our eyes upon you. Honor. Mm. And when you 